Welcome back. This week on the podcast, I talk with Devin Klein. Devin is the entrepreneur and visionary behind Burn Bootcamp and Burn Media, along with his wife, Morgan Klein. Devin had a chaotic childhood. He had a tough upbringing, but he takes those life lessons and things that he learned through team sports and going on to be a young entrepreneur and playing collegiate baseball, playing professional baseball. And he takes all those life lessons to become really an incredible entrepreneur today. He took about $600. He had one parking lot where he could train um, clients and turned Burn Boot Camp into a enterprise today um, exceeding a value of $500 million. They have close to 400 locations. His goal is to get to 10,000 at one point. Um, he has channeled all those things he learned growing up and has put it towards being an entrepreneur, being a good father, being a good husband, good, being a good leader um, within the workplace. And it was really an incredible conversation and his determination and resilience shows through in the conversation that you're about to listen to. Um, it's awesome. I really enjoyed having him on. He lives about an hour and a half away from me, um, just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. If you do want to figure out how to get in touch with Devin or go to one of his boot camps, I'll have the link in the show notes. So just go there and check it out. Um, but what he's doing within the health and wellness and fitness um, industry is incredible. Another company that I love to brag about is Spinks. Spinks is a main partner of the show. And you might know Spinks by driving down the road and seeing their convenience stores, seeing their gas stations, seeing their car washes, and they're incredible. But what's incredible to me is what they do for their communities and behind the scenes where they donate millions and millions of dollars to organizations like March of Dimes um, to build up their communities. And uh, I can't say enough good things about Spinks. So go to the link in the show notes as well. If you're driving by Spinks, find the nearest location to you, support them, because they truly support the communities they are in. Another incredible sponsor and mission is Rebel Rabbit Seltzers. Rebel Rabbit is creating a new mission to socialize healthier and smarter. Their seltzers are alcohol-free. Um, they're infused with cannabis. They have two different levels, a mild hair and a wild hair. So it doesn't matter where you are in your journey. They have something for you, whether you're kicking back and relaxing, watching football during this fall, or just getting home from work, and you want to take the edge off a little bit. And all those negative side effects that come along with alcohol don't come with Rebel Rabbit Seltzers, so you're going to be able to get a good night's sleep. You're going to wake up feeling refreshed. You're going to be able to be more productive in the days following. So join the mission. Their link is also in the show notes. If you use promo code LIFE20, You'll get 20% off your order. If you go to that link in the show notes, it'll take you directly um, to their website with that link already applied. So order yourself some Rebel Rabbit Seltzers. They'll be delivered directly to your door and you start living healthier, living smarter. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Devin Klein. Devin, what's up, brother? I know uh, it's wild because you're not too far from me this morning. I know, just across the border, not too far. What's it like, uh, maybe like an hour, hour and a half? Yeah, hour and thirty hour. Yeah, hour and a half. My both my parents grew up in Charlotte, so okay, I spent, okay. I spent a lot of time in Charlotte as a kid. Nice. I'm uh I'm just north of the city in Lake Norman. So, do you ever spend any time up there? 
Um, not too much. We were, I guess, more on the south side of Charlotte. Got you. Got you. Uh, well, if anybody, if anybody, if anybody doesn't know Lake Norman, it's like the halfway point between Miami and New York. So <laughs> stop in and say hello. It's a great vacation spot. Airbnbs uh, are pretty crazy on the lake. You didn't uh, always live in, in North Carolina. Where did you grow up? Morgan uh, and I both grew up in Battle Creek, Michigan, which is known. It's a little city in southwest Michigan, uh, about 50,000 people, just perpetually for like the history forever. Uh, and I probably forever to the future It's famous for uh, being Serial City, which is W.K. Kellogg founded the Kellogg Company in Battle Creek. And then I think it was like the late 80s and into the 90s. Then Post started moving in. General Mills started moving in. And then, you know, Morgan and I would wake up on Sunday mornings growing up and the whole city smells like Fruity Pebbles, which is a nice, it's a nice brand. Didn't know. But you knew when the, you knew when the mills it's were. It's your wife, right? Yeah. Yep. Wife, CEO, mother of my three children. And she wears many, many hats. She, um, she worked for Kellogg's when y'all moved yeah, she to did. Charlotte. She did. So she's the reason. So I played minor league baseball, uh, growing up, you know, I come from like, Morgan comes from like the good side of the tracks and I come from the other side of the tracks and mm-hmm. You know, it's that classic story. We met when we were 12 years old and she became my rock right away. Like I fell in puppy love right away. Uh, the first time I asked her to be my girlfriend in sixth grade, she said, no, she shut me down. And, uh, but I kept going, I'm determined, I'm ambitious. And so I kept, uh, I wrote her a letter in, uh, let's say eighth grade that told her, one of her friends, Aaron, that I was going to marry Morgan. So I was, I was like committed. Right. And so then I go play baseball. You know, I go, I grew up through a, a pretty hellish childhood with mm-hmm. Just to put it into kind of a punchline, there were 50 plus criminal charges in my household before I was 18 years old, and that's that's a that's just a lot, right? And so um, I was I tried not to be there as much as I I possibly could. So I spent a lot of time with Morgan, went and played college baseball, went and played uh, with the San Francisco Giants for uh, a cup of tea as a farmhand in the minor leagues. And then Morgan was in Florida with Kellogg's and she had been with Kellogg's and as her, from uh, from college as an internship, moved to Florida, Naples, Florida, was calling on grocery stores in Southwest Florida. And uh, that was sugar mama. She's still paying for my cell phone bill at the time. So <laughs> what definitely it, you touched on it, but I want to touch on your childhood a little bit more. So what was it like growing up? What was uh, your childhood like? Well, before I could even you know, put sentences together. I was out on the road with my mom travel. We went from Michigan to Mississippi, from Mississippi to Arizona, from Arizona to California, to Washington state, back to Arizona, back to California a couple of times. I don't know, lose track of how many times we ended up moving, but, um, I ended up moving back to Battle Creek, Michigan, which I was born there, but my mom and dad, I mean, they were like, you know, they were, they, they didn't mix. They're like oil and water. And, you know, anytime they got together, it was just a very explosive and chaotic and there was a substances involved and, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of those criminal charges were domestic violence. Um, and so, you know, they got back when we moved back to Michigan after I traveled with my mom, you know, it was like fourth grade and yeah, that's when they moved back in together and it's just, they kind of pick up right where they left off. And so, uh, Yeah, I mean, the day that I had to become a man was when I was 12 years old and uh, my mom and dad were essentially having a knocked out, like the middleweight belt UFC fight in the kitchen. And I had to step in to try to break it up. You know, you're you're a 12-year-old boy that's beginning to go through puberty and you start to feel these feelings of anger. And, you know, I started to pretty much get sick of hearing my dad beat my mom, right? And so I I stepped in to be the man and 
you know, at that time I wasn't yet. I just felt like I was, and I was the one that got hit in the temple and knocked out. And, uh, that's the day that, um, you know, like that's the day that I became a man. Right. And that's, I really grew up and had to realize that I had to start taking care of myself in a, in a real big way. And so, yeah. And then I spent most of 12 to 18 out of the house. That's when I really figured out that, you know, being on welfare and being, uh, the kid who couldn't buy the chocolate milk because the welfare stamps didn't cover the chocolate milk. They only covered the white milk. You know, that was like what did the biggest deal to me when I was like 13, 14 years old. And so I started, um, because of that, I didn't even know what the, uh, the word entrepreneur meant at the time, but I just started wanting to make money. And so I, my dad was an audit electrician. My uncles, um, you know, they're all cut from kind of the same cloth. They were, they were on the roofs, you know, doing roofing. And so I would work with my dad, with my uncles. I would burn CDs, go to the girls' JD basketball games, listen to what the crowd was vibing to and sell them back the warm up playlists and things like that from the, you know, back when it was cool to like burn CDs and sell CDs. You know, I'm sure you did some of that back in the day. And then my, I mean, I did 20 minutes snow removal from the time I was probably 11 or 12, 11, I think it was. And what we would do is like, I didn't even know what a franchise basically was, but we would have like different territories and different neighborhoods and we'd go hit the territory. I'd go through knocking on all the doors, selling in all of the, all of the 20 minute, $20 snow removals. My buddies would come behind with shovels and then you, they'd knock it out and we'd split, we'd break bread three different ways. And uh, then when I turned 16, I started a eBay arbitrage, flipping motor vehicles on eBay. And that was really my first, I think, big boy experience with like a lot, um, a lot, thousands of dollars on the line. Not just you know, a blank CD here or there. Were you? Um, did you have any brothers or sisters? Yeah, so it's a, it's you know, like most people have family trees. When you come from where I come from, it's more like a family burning bush. And um, so my dad has uh, uh, multiple kids by multiple women. It's pretty complicated. We'd have to probably sort it out for an hour to get people to understand it. Um, but essentially, uh, you know, I have an older brother who's my half brother, uh, who's on my mom's side, my mom's child. And then it's myself and then my younger brother and my younger sister. And then I have a younger sister who's younger than them. And I only have one real brother, like full brother. The rest of them are all half siblings by different parents. So it gets pretty complicated, but we are all us, uh, you know, all of us besides my little brother who we unfortunately can't find. I don't know where he is. Honestly, we looked all over the globe for him. Um, he doesn't want to be found apparently. Uh, we are very tight and we're like, we wish he would come back. So if you're listening to this little bro, come on, dude. We got you. It's crazy growing up, but you know, you, you grow up and you get out of that adolescent age and you realize that, hey, I don't care when I met my sister. I didn't meet my uh, sisters, either one of them until they were eight until they were 12. And, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time growing up with my big brother, but, you know, when we all became adults, it's like, hey, this is kind of all we have here, you know, so that's, we've actually become tighter because of that. Was there a time where you realized, or you were using sports or baseball as an escape? Yeah, I don't think I, in the moment when you're 14 or 15, you're like, you know, I'm going to escape and go use this as an outlet and then retroactively look back and like, this was my escape, but. I think it worked out to be that, right? Like I enjoyed, nobody, everybody wants to enjoy the time that they spend, you know, nobody wants to be around misery or suffering or pain. And so I was in good moods when I was on the ball field, when I was in the weight room, I, when I was around my teammates, when I was respected for something, I think 
when I look back and say, what was I really after? Why did I really work so hard? Why was I always on the field? First one to show up, last one to leave. Why did I always make sure I was the, you know, in a position of leadership? Well, it's because my dad carried this last name Klein with him that was, um, you know, as he matured into an adult became inherently disrespected, right? Especially in like a small town, you know, you're the son of a convicted felon. You automatically get associated with that name. Like in my friend's parents would, they'd be like, no, Devin can't come here because, you know, you know, his family is right. Like, no, he's just trouble. Like he can't come here. You get like thrown in that same bucket. And I never felt that way. So when I was playing sports, I got the respect from it. You know, I was 14 years old playing on the 16 year old teams. I was a freshman, you know, playing on varsity. And my dad was a fantastic ball player. I mean, he played for the Detroit Tigers. Uh, he was a McDonald's All-American basketball player. Um, I was an All-State basketball player in high school and, and played baseball at the next level. Couldn't jump. That was my downfall. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you you get the respect from being able to throw this little white ball across green grass pretty good. And all of a sudden, it starts to overshadow some of the, you know, the, the sports athletic accomplishments start to overshadow some of that inherent disrespect that you might get being associated with a family that doesn't have a great reputation in the community. Yeah, totally. I know for me, like being on the sports field is where I felt the most at peace, you know, being out yeah, there, yeah, like being with sure. your teammates, you know, doing something collectively together, just like brought me more like peace. You know, I never felt peace when I was in the classroom. Like I hated school, like I hated that sort of stuff. Um, but being out there with my boys and my friends and my teammates always brought me like a peace that now that I can reflect on, I think that's why I was I think there's a, there's a pull to being a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And when you're on a team, there's a, you know, inherent part of that team that has aspirations to at least win the conference, right? Like I've never been on a team that's like, you know, Hey, let's, let's go, let's have a losing record this year. Let's suck this year. Right. Like never met a, been on a team that aspires to suck. And so there's some type of uh, gravity toward being on a team, especially a team with a championship coach. Right, you have a coach that has a mentality of, "Hey, we're gonna, we're not just here to win the conference. We're here to, to uh, win the championship, and we're not going to do that by competing with other teams. We're going to do that by competing with ourselves, and we're not going to dominate. We're not going to compete this year. We're going to dominate this year." Mm -hmm. I found myself there's even levels when you're part of a team that bring you more into that piece, more into that. Um, I would might language it more of that, um, more of that uh, culture that is one with what you desire, yeah. right? And yeah, it's the same thing in business. When my employees, we have 6,000 of them now, right? So like when my employees get onboarded, you know, each one of them individually, they've got to feel that the brand represents their core values as a person. And when you're a baseball player going after the pennant or the World Series, you know, you got to have the same, if your, your core values don't align with the organization, well then, you know, yeah. not going to be fit and likely not going to win a championship. And it's not far after you... Like you said, you're with the Giants for a cup of tea, I think you said. Not shortly after that, you're trying to figure out what to do with your career. What are you going to build? What team are you going to put around you to, you know, accomplish something in business, right? To get out of maybe the the childhood and, and what you went through as a kid, like all these things kind of motivating you. You, um, you find yourself with a couple hundred bucks in your pocket and back of a parking lot, I believe. Like, talk me through that first group personal training, you know, session you did. Yeah. 
Well, I think there's this fantasy that a lot of entrepreneurs who have had success like end up creating in their head about going back and about how they've manufactured everything to be aligned in the moment that it's actually in. And I just think that's, you know, nice storytelling and all that. But at the end of the day, no one, none of us really know when you're in it. And, you know, my concentration in the parking lot wasn't to build a enterprise, wasn't to build <laughs> this empire, right? It was to how the hell can I, how the hell can I make six figures, you know, doing this job, doing what I love, be comfortable. You know, I've always been ambitious, but I didn't know. I think, I think part of my success was blind confidence. Like I didn't know how hard it would be to be successful. And so once I set a goal, I was always wired to like set goal, go get goal, set it, go get it, set it, go get it. That's been my, my pattern from making enough weight to get my fastball into the 90s, to getting to college, to getting to in the next level, to bouncing back off of a bad game. It's always been set the goal, go get the goal. And so when I set the goal to go get my first thousand members, that's all I was focused on. I wanted, I wanted to not compete but dominate in North Charlotte. And well, nobody would give me a lease. So I'm kind of starting in a ditch at the starting line. Everybody else is on the starting line. I'm in a ditch because I have 600 bucks. Morgan's got a job at you know, it pays good for a single person, you know, you know, then she's supporting me. And now all of a sudden that gets kind of eaten away and we're living paycheck to paycheck at this time. So, you know, nobody gives me a lease rightfully so. So we go to sublease and that's how we ended up in a parking lot is wanted to go put five years down on a lease and sign my life away. And they wouldn't let me because it was too risky. And so signed the parking lot, did that deal. We did four more parking lots, like gyms like that. I don't have mm -hmm. to go into all of them, but they're all sublet situations. And my first goal is to go after a thousand members. And we did that. And we did that very quick. And I never had, I never set out to make money. I never, it was never, it was about being, having enough to be comfortable and to, and to live life and to, you know, I thought six figures would be a great number. So yeah, I wanted to get there. There was definitely a motivator. But I wanted to do something that gave my last name respect. I wanted to do something that, you know, could break the chain of what my family has been for generations and generations and generations. And so I knew that had something to do with money, but it had a lot to do with providing value to people that they otherwise wouldn't have if I didn't exist. And so it's people first and and profit second. And we truly carry that. And even at 375 gyms today, we carry that. But back then we Went after that a thousand number. We got it. We looked down. I'm like, I didn't have, I had no idea that this was even possible. I've got a million dollars in cash sitting in a bank account. And I'm just like, whoa, I'm my first, my first emotion was fear. Like, what do I deserve this? And what do I do with this? Imposter syndrome. What do I do with this? Yeah, that was my first, my first fear. And then something told me like i'm just now like learning what the word entrepreneur even is at this point in time like what were you then 24 24 like i didn't study business books like i i studied baseball i, w I was going to be a big leaguer what's set me up for success in business is that i acquired skills necessary as i'm not focused on entrepreneurship or business from you know say 18 until 24, I'm those six years, I'm just focused on baseball. What it's teaching me is how to build a team, mm -hmm. how to be a leader. It's teaching me compat. It's teaching me how to take a loss and not get wiped off the face of the planet by a single loss or a loss that was unfair. 
Like a, the ball got hit down the third baseline, bounced off the bag into the air, 60 feet. And as the ball's in the air, they're winning run scores. And that's looks like a triple in the books. And really it's, you saw the guy off, broke his bat and he had a dribbler that hit the base and popped in the sky. You know, it's like learning to take these situations as they come and what they're for, not making problems bigger than they are and seeing the world actually as it is. Cause you got to get up and play again the next day. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's what I learned. And then I stepping into business, that's all I knew. And I learned finance and I learned ops and I learned legal and I learned marketing. One of the first things that I learned was marketing. Nobody showed up on my first week on my third day. And that was freaking embarrassing and shameful. And I never want to, I hate losing and I never want to feel that way again. But, um, what were, what did make you different? It was just a thousand members felt it and we hit it and, and then plowed that money back into the business early on. What, what was a differentiator for you and why were people coming back to you? The differentiator question is separate than the answer to, I think, why people came back. Okay. The differentiator is I had child watch and I was a personal trainer who had those credentials, who was in a setting where it made access to my credentials and my experiences, which was not only uh, accredited and certified um, with NASM and ASM, National um, Academy of Sports Medicine but also through the Giants and the Chippewas being around professional strength and conditioning coaches and being a professional athlete myself. So I brought this level of, uh, you know, I brought this level of experience and certification that usually costs, you know, $100 a session into, you know, 100 plus and some change a month so people could come and work out with me and get that. And so that's, I think, was the revolutionary differentiator is putting experts in a position where they can have a jersey on their chest and then they uh, can live by the same core values that the brand lives by. They feel like they're on a team again. They can have financial freedom and success from a career perspective, but also be the staple of their community. And this was a opportunity for personal trainers in America that had never been created before. So that's one of the differentiators. The other one was Child Watch and that inherently attracted uh, women. And so our very first tagline, I always believed because I knew nothing about business. So all the cliches to me were very eye-opening and like like bombastic when I first heard them. It was like, the riches are in the niches was one of the first things I heard that blew my mind. And so I'm like, all right, well, uh, I'm about to corner this market like freaking Walmart. So uh, let me uh, just put fit community of moms on the tagline. Let me corner this market and let me provide all the value I can to one specific person. Her name, Sally Flame, is our persona. Uh, and she's got a whole story, psychographic, demographic, geographic. You can tell her whole story. Well, you go after her. You provide a service with Child Watch that allows, and this personal trainer who is a who's a badass. Together, now you have this. Now you have an opportunity to have a like-minded culture where women who have ten who tend to put themselves on the back burner after they have children. You give them a reason and an opportunity to put themselves first in their life again. And the confidence that they receive from the decision they've made to go join the gym makes them feel significant and more recognized. Therefore, boom, rating fan culture. And now, um, you know, it's 110,000, not a thousand. <laughs> and your, your idea of the Try not to use the word class. Your idea of yeah. the training session, right? Like what? 
a, a camp. There you a go. camp. There you go. I was going to say like a team personal training. Yeah, I like that you didn't call it class though. That makes me happy. <laughs> Talk to me through your methodology or or what your what you wanted it to be like for them. Well, I wanted it to be like nothing else because you know you can create a business by going into a crowded market for sure, right? I definitely can. I think I've I've proven that. Like I'm not the first boot camp to ever exist or the first boutique fitness company to ever exist you know we broke into the market and we're leading the market and so you know the this idea that entrepreneurs have to find this unicorn this this idea that nobody's sought after yet i hear a lot of anytime i listen to um you know a technology billionaire talk that's how they always think you got to find the idea that nobody's ever found peter thiel is a good one you know if He's never said like, go to a crowded market and be the best at executing in a crowded market, right? He's like, that's that's not how you become a billionaire, I guess, in his mind. Well, to me, it was always about, um, it was always about creating a product that was differentiated and, and that the product itself is the differentiator. And you don't need, you can want and you can, and you can have marketing and around your company, around your product, around your offering, but you don't need it. With a with a with an amazing product like a Tesla, for example, they don't run commercials because they don't need commercials. Their word of mouth is so strong because their product is so good that the people who love their product are diehards. Apple iPhone is another great example. The people that love Apple iPhones, they hate people that have like in a light playful sense, they hate Samsung's peep Samsung people. Like yeah. you know how it goes, right? The people that like the road mics don't like the shore mics, you know, like podcasting world. The people that like to have a switcher real time, you know, there's there's preferences. And so for me, I will not this person with this insanely high IQ that can think about some product or service that have, has never been created before and make something out of thin air. There's to me, there's nothing new under the sun from my perspective. Like you just take the combination of some things that you like that are out there you combine them together, you make them solve one person's specific problem, create trust and build relationships with that person and continue to know that one person deeper and deeper. And that's how you create a loyal customer, a loyal member, a loyal client is by providing solutions to problems that they know they have that they can't solve anywhere else. But in the future, how you retain them is to continue to solve problems that they didn't know existed. And I think that is where the real innovation when you come into a crowded space starts to starts to separate yourself. Now we have this product and service ecosystem where we're almost selling uh, Burn Bootcamp as a transformation, mm-hmm. as a package, as something that is, it's not just here. I mean, you can buy a franchise, right? You could sit, you can change your financial future with this fitness company. This just isn't about, you know, moving more and eating less. It's also about doing more, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and growing more and, taking on more responsibility as a human because that's what makes us sharp. Yeah, you knew um, 2012, you have one parking lot, right? Or however we want to talk about it. And you've scaled to, think of the numbers, almost 400 locations, almost 400 camps. During yeah. that, there has to be more headaches. There has to be more challenges, you know, coming with scale. There's, you know, different things that you weren't planning for. Over those... You know, I guess we could say coming up on 14 years, what have you done to keep the same energy and the same teamwork and the same passion behind Burn Bootcamp? 
I think I naturally had some DNA that was entrepreneurial, although I didn't know what it meant for a long time. But I'll tell you what, the answer to the question is that I've pre I'm prepared for this. When I was 12 and I had to go through that scenario of trying to break up that fight that I was mm -hmm. telling you about with my parents, I mean, you'd want to talk about how you create success in the world. You even said it um, with your podcast, it's consistency. Mm -hmm. Well, consistency has nothing to do with pleasure or pain. And oftentimes consistency is very painful. And I think the reason that a lot of people aren't successful is because they are not consistent because the pain of being consistent is too painful for them. Well, I've just got a different perspective of pain. Like it, like you, like there's a lot of stuff. Don't get me wrong from 2012 to 2023, going from one location to, you know, nearly 400 and, you know, growing a, a business by 8,000%. There's been a more, more, more pain than the average, than I would wish upon the average human being, you know, to take in a lifetime in the last decade. But I'm prepared for this. It's not something that's going to distract me or take me down or cause me to uh, not stand firm on what I have planted my flag in the ground and what I really believe in. Not that I am not open-minded and change my mind along the way. I definitely do that. But you know, generally speaking, the directional conversation of Burn Bootcamp, you know, being in every feasible planet that we can be, um, that that will have us in, in serving every community that we can and being that leadership factory in every community that we're in and being a model fitness company for the world. You know, these things, these directional things aren't going to change. And so there's no amount of pain from 2012 to 2023, especially a giant pandemic when I have to close 275 open gyms and, you know, for an average of four months total. Yeah, that was painful, but not nearly as painful as some of the things that I had to face growing up. And so bring on the pain. You know what I mean? Like I see, uh, you know, I see uh, I'm young I'm from, and I'm not stupid that, you know, I look around and and, it, and it's also not disrespectful. I hope people don't take it as disrespectful, but I'm the only person that doesn't have gray hair in like the nine, 90 percent of the meetings that I'm in. Right. And definitely the only person with a backwards hat and a hoodie on that never had to show up in a, in a suit to feel successful because I just hit success right away so quickly. And I don't take that for granted. I know how I don't, I, I there's, I've been, I've just been prepared for this. Mm -hmm. Like it, I, failing, failing at a business is nothing compared to um, what I went through. And so yes, lots of stuff went, happened in that decade, uh, but nothing. Yeah. You're, you've embraced the pain like it's nothing it's it's motivating right it's like it's cool like how, where do you get your motivation at, when you're an entrepreneur if there's nobody there to hold you accountable you know um jacko willick yeah i do he always has that saying of good i don't know if you've ever seen that video but like when something goes wrong or something you know they get denied something he his answer is always good it's like, really? yeah, well, I got to yeah, figure yeah, something yeah. else out. You know, now that's an opportunity yeah, to yeah. do something else. And uh, I've started like rewiring my brain when that happens sometimes. Like if something, you know, if a challenge comes up or, you know, you get denied access to something, just say good and be like, now I can do something else. Now I can focus my energy elsewhere. Like I can, you know, making something good out of what some people would, you know, get destroyed from or you know get discouraged from like turning that into a different type of willpower yeah it's like making your 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 worst day your best day and if you have the power to flip it the power to flip that is the power to succeed as an entrepreneur 
right? And you know, I I would I would probably just like naturally, although I love Jocko, he's like oh, such a badass. I would probably language it a different way in my head. I would I would get I like the way that I process that is I, like losing to me is so painful. Like I hate it. Like I freaking hate it. I can't stand losing. It's the worst feeling. It's of shame and embarrassment. How anyone can say that they, if anyone says that they are a uh, that they enjoy losing, that they enjoy losing, to me that's a competitive mindset. That's not a dominating mindset. I don't like losing. I don't think anyone likes losing. That's a domination mindset because now you have, now you have. Uh, in order for me to lose and be happy with it, I must be competing against other people. Right, they've had to had had to teach me a lesson. If I'm competing with myself, there's 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 the only person that I could let down is me, mm-hmm. and that's painful, right? And so like that, I don't know. I just I hate losing from that regard. And so yeah, good. Like yeah, though this thing happens, I lost. Good, like good because I'm going to get angry, and it's going to fuel <laughs> me. It's going to motivate me. So good because I need that. And I get it where I get that side of where it's coming from for sure. Uh, I think Gary V says it too. He says it like uh, something like I love, I love my problems or I, I, I love losing or losing is like my favorite freaking thing to do. And I'm like, I get why you're saying that, but I guess just growing up playing sports and being in that highly competitive environment, the next level for me was predicated on this L or W being next to my name afterwards. When the L showed up, I just oh, hated it. <laughs> We're alive in a lot of ways like that. I'll tell you that. With um, with balance, so right, like within your life, you, I feel like for most people, you got to find a balance to be your optimal self. For you, what do you do on a daily basis? Like, how do you keep that balance within your life? You know, it's an interesting question of balance. Is it harmony? Is balance Possible? Should I give myself an expectation or a demand that is impossible to achieve? You know, should I make a request of myself to be perfect if perfect isn't attainable? Um, I don't know. I don't know. What about when you're with your family and your kids? You know, it's so it's so harmonious. So when it, well, I think of the word balance, I don't. To me, that's a really unachievable ideology is to have this balance because there's a nat like it's gravity game and you're naturally taking gravity away from one thing to give it to the other and so there's like the natural give and take and now i understand short-term sacrifice but if you have a perspective of harmony where everything can really flow together and like a like a symphony or like a like a like a dr dre beat or something you know you feel that there's multiple levels and all of those multiple levels are working together in harmony to create this sound. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, that's just a better proposition. It's something I'm more excited about. It's a question I'm more determined and more curious about solving rather than how do you create balance. And so I think it's really important how you're how you're asked that question because if it's about balance, then I don't think I could ever achieve that. I think I'm going to be banging my head against the wall for quite some time. But if it's about harmony... Well, then maybe I can put my kids in a school that allows them to be have a flexible um, have flexibility in, in terms of their attendance so that I can bring them into the office once a week or once every other week or once a month or 
that, hey, if I want to take them on a trip with me, like I just did uh, down near you, I took my son Maxwell to Spartanburg, South Carolina, and we went and uh, I had him on media. So he was doing my Instagram social media <laughs> stuff. He's five. And he was uh, with with Zay, who you met offline. Zay's my content creator. And, and, you know, he was shadowing Zay for the day. Right. And learning. I wouldn't have him sitting in a corner like, you know, watching an iPad. That's not how I how I do it. Right. That's not harmony. That's balancing. I'm I'm taking from his experiences by giving him something that's going to distract him in the moment if he were to be in that setting. And so for me, it's about bringing them into the office, bringing them into the fold. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. And so you have a unique ability as an entrepreneur to set up your life around you how you decide. If you if you if you do not feel like you are in control as an entrepreneur, then you you're not one. You you just have a job. Your business is the only thing you're serving. The business isn't serving you. You're serving the business, and that's a big problem because so many entrepreneurs get in get into this "I need to do everything" mentality, and that's this that's the that's the philosophy that puts you in the center of having a $75,000 a year job that you work 90 hours a week for. Mm -hmm. And I don't think any of us really want that. And so, um, you know, for me, bring my kids in, make my own decisions, make sure I'm constantly asking myself, is my situation, is my current environment aligned with the blueprint that I architect for myself and my family or is it off? And if it's off, then I need to figure out how to not balance it, but to integrate it more. Mm-hmm. No, it makes a lot of sense. I like uh, the term harmony because balance is, I don't know, even know what balance means sometimes when you think about like when you're going through your daily life. Rebel Rabbit is on a mission to provide a healthier and smarter way to socialize and drink their alcohol-free Cannabis infused seltzers are perfect for anybody just trying to kick back and relax after a hard day at work or on the golf course with your friends or hanging out at a party and you want to wake up and feel better the next day. Their seltzers are perfect for you. They are a great alternative to alcohol as well. Their website is drinkrebelrabbit.com. Use promo code LIFE20. You'll get 20% off your order. That link is in the show notes. But join the mission and start drinking and socializing smarter with Rebel Rabbit Seltzers. Early on, was it hard for you to delegate? And how did you learn to delegate, like you said, like instead of trying to do everything? It's definitely a learning curve to be able to be a, to trust people enough, right? To get the right people around you to have that trust to be able to delegate. We call it delegate elevate. Uh, and really what that is, is leverage, right? You're You're like a... Like you can't just move a boulder if you stand and, you know, the side of a boulder and try to push a boulder. But if you, you know, put a steel rod, a 42 foot steel rod and you, and you jam it into the boulder in the ground and you go on the other side of that rod, you pull on it Mm -hmm. where you're likely going to get it to move right with a lot less effort and with teamwork. And so to me, delegate and elevate isn't push responsibility to people and then, you know, peace out. I call that pigeon management where you fly in, you shit on someone, and then you leave. Like we don't want to do that. Right. We want to leverage. We want to, you we want to be that lev that 42 foot lever for them and let them be the one to pull it so that we can move the rock together. And so, you know, I would say early on the, what comes to mind was training early on. Like I'm a, like I said, a trainer at heart, I've done 15,000 camps. I still 
stay sharp and do a couple of months. I'll actually do one this upcoming Saturday in, in, in Ohio. And the hardest time where I have to delegate and elevate, although I've done it several times in, in order to get to the position I'm in today, it's almost evolves into you're constantly looking to, for that, right? You're constantly looking how not to do something, right? It, but at first it was like, how do I do everything? And constantly looking for ways to do that. And for me, it was training, stepping back and giving my, you know, 800 members at my original Huntersville, North Carolina facility, turning that over to another head trainer was like my mentality at the, I was 26 or 27, I think. Trust factors, huge. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was like, none of you fools can do this as good as me. And I want you to know <laughs> that before you even start it, start in this. And so I had to know, and, and that was ego talking for sure. You know, as I'm trying to sort out who I am as a entrepreneur and as a man, without having role role models or mentors growing up, um, you know, my mentors are books and other people, and you know, two way conversations like this where you get to learn something every time you pitch and catch with someone. Sure. And I didn't know all the right answers, but you know, I try to follow intuition probably a lot more than a lot of people because of that reason, and I think that's the best way to do it. Data is very important. And I give 49% of the credit to data, but in my world, intuition wins always. If there's a vote, it's 5149 intuition to data. And it just worked for me. And I think uh, having that philosophy is necessary for an entrepreneur. You don't want to have it the other way, you know, uh, all the time because you could get paralyzed by the numbers. And sometimes you don't have the numbers to make decisions. As an entrepreneur, you just got to go. You just got to risk. You just got to move. And like, what's the worst that could happen? With um, with you being a father, how do you want your kids, like how how do you want your kids to look up to you? How do they want, you know, when they're 15, 20, 30, like how would you want them to describe you when you were, you know, a younger dad? Well, I would definitely want them to not describe me the way I am forced to describe my father. I love my father and for all the things that he gave me and all the things he did do, he made me a very confident young man. Like I was always, you're the man D, like always, like no matter what. He had his problems and they were pretty deep, but he gave me a lot of great things too. So I'd, I'd, I would hate to say that um, there's, you know, all this negative perspective, you know, because I wouldn't be the person I am today if it wasn't for my mom and dad. Sure. So there's that advantage uh, that I have over everyone else is I had to go through that pain when I was young so that I know how to handle it in my 20s and 30s when most people are crippled by it in their 50s. So for that, I'm forever grateful, right? And I've since moved on from their personal decisions and associating those personal decisions with who I am as a human being and and what I would want. And I had to go through that process, which is, I, is a process I don't want my kids to go through is to have to disassociate you know, uh, reasons and justify reasons why, you know, they have to, um, you know, they have to make excuses for me. I want them to have nothing but unconditional love, support, admiration for me, uh, for my, for my wife, Morgan, for, uh, for them to look and say, there's, listen, there's nothing you could have done better. There's nothing you could have tried harder at, you know, our life, it wasn't perfect, but you know, you didn't, my biggest fear is letting money get in the way of their pain because I'm a big believer of pain, as you can probably tell, and how, how that is the primary driver and motivator, the pain of not being aligned 
to the blueprint you thought your life was going to be aligned to. And, and, and that gap, that's the great gap of, of action. That's where people get determined. That's where it hit, they hit rock bottom and they move from that pain, that, that emotion creates that motion. And so for my kids, they're going to have that few and far between. I'm going to have to manufacture that for them. Um, and I want them to always, I want them to grow up knowing what pain is the same way I knew pain was, but not from personal experience, but from perifer peripheral experience. That's different experience. From being able to put them, you know, let's go to Haiti, right? And let's stay for a week intentionally in the shit. And let's live the lifestyle of what true pain would be to you where you don't have your iPad and you don't have the lake outside and you don't have the bike you can get on and you don't have urban air that we can pop up and spend 13 bucks for you to go jump around on a freaking giant trampoline and you think that's just normal. You know, you go to Haiti and you see these kids who are, you know, they have nothing, but they have everything. They have zero material possessions, but they're some of the happiest people on the planet. Their home gets wiped off the face of the planet by a by natural disaster, yet they grow up with a sound framework and philosophy of how to be a happy person on the planet. And so, yeah, I just want them to grow up with the, I want them to grow up like 99% of the way, you know, opposite of the way that I did, but also share in that pain because that pain has given me such a enlightened worldview. Yeah. And I'm able to build big companies off the back of that enlightened worldview it did a good, it, it helped me set up a personality that is just really geared for this game of entrepreneurship. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's, uh, having that perspective and the childhood you went through, I mean, it's built you, right. And like, of course you don't want your kids to go through the pain you went through, but you want them to understand what pain is to, to help build them to, you know, the people you, we won't, to uh to have is there is there a, a way you go through your daily activity and your daily life to like keep you motivated to keep do you train every day do you you know write or do you journal what are the things do you do on a daily basis yeah three things every single day uh i would say that my lifestyle has to i'm not going to be one of these people that sits here and says that hey every day at the 4 a.m. as soon as that hits 4, 4 a.m. I'm up and I'm out of bed. like I'm traveling sometimes at 4 a.m. Um, do I, I my philosophy is when I'm awake I'm I'm hyperactive right when I'm awake I'm hyperactive and um hyperactive means that I'm doing three times more than anyone thinks that I can do in a day by asking myself the question how do I get someone else to do this and I don't have to do it, right? How can I literally get this done in no time, in zero, in zero time? And so the pure nature of that question is motivating intrinsically for me um, of allocating resources and assets. That's the game. And I love the game. The same way I love the game of baseball. Yeah, it sucks. Like I don't want to go to the field for six hours to play potentially for 10 minutes as a closer every day for like all my life, you know, like, but that 10 minutes, ooh, that 10 minutes is so good. It's so sweet. You know, so there's, this, there's some inherent motivation built in just in the game that we're playing. I think that motivation is something everyone needs and I get it three different ways every day. 
Number one is learning something new. Every day I'm learning something new. People that tell me that, hey, I don't read books. I'm like, well, then it's only a moment, a matter of time before you get passed by somebody just as sharp as you, just as much as ambition, but that's reading and attaining knowledge and learning every day. Because in five years, I'm, you know, I'm going to know Spanish and you're not. And I'm going to be able to, you know, I'm going to be able to, you know, let's say develop in the, in the Spanish speaking countries and you're not right for a tangible example. So the gap of who I could be in five years versus who I am now in the, you know, putting some pain in place to say, Hey, I could know Spanish in five years. And here I am sitting here watching Netflix. Like that's, that's a little pain there. Okay. Let's stop. Let's put Netflix down. Let's learn Spanish. So there's motivation in that, but I'm, I believe that like to answer your question verbatim, not like the built in type of stuff. I listen to ET, the hip hop preacher a lot when I'm feeling like a little down, you know, uh, you know who he is? No, I don't. Oh, okay. His name's Eric Thomas. Um, he, I just relate to him. He comes from nothing, you know, lived out of the gutter, grew up in Michigan the way I grew up in Michigan. His story resonates with mine. I can feel his pain and, you know, anytime I need to hear a true, like gifted motivational speaker, like the best in the world at just motivating somebody, in my opinion, I'll throw on ET and I'll just go hit a workout. Um, so I'll learn something every day, um, whether it's listening or reading, I'm writing for at least an hour every day and I'm working out for at least 45 minutes every day. So there's about three hours on a daily basis where I'm spending on myself and not spending on the business. And I also consider that work, by the way. Like, so, you know, people say, hey, I'm putting in 80 hours. I'm not putting in 80 hours sitting behind a desk typing emails. Like, that's not what people are saying. That's not what we mean. Please don't take that. It's, it means that you're consumed by it. Like, you know, when you're consumed by it, when you're not consumed by your passion. Like, when I'm out in the boat with my kids and we're, in you know the water jumping in having a cannonball contest i am not present i'm not thinking about my business right i'm thinking about how to kick my kids ass in the cannonball contest right and how to make the biggest splash right how, how to have fun how to take pictures and how to capture the experience and the memories when i'm sitting there in my office doing nothing and brainstorming and just writing stuff on a piece of paper that come to my mind that's work and so, yeah, it's 80 or 100 hours a week every week, but that's because that's how often I'm not with my family and awake. Mm -hmm. And so to me, work ethic is how often are you thinking about it? Not necessarily how often are you doing stuff? If you're trying to do stuff for 100 hours a week, listen, like you have zero chance of sustaining that. Yeah, totally. Zero, zero. So what's motivating to me is, um, is uh, E.T. the hip hop preacher when I need it. A, a nice, hard, motivate, like a nice demanding training session at camp mm -hmm. when I need it. If I need to be solo, a hard run. I don't do anything soft, by the way. Like, I can't just go for like a half a mile jog. Like, if we're going running, we're going five miles for time. Like, that's it, right? And so there's a, there's a little bit of crazy wired wired in there too, uh, which is which is always good, a bit unpredictable. Engineered Sleep makes the best mattresses out there. 
Sleep is the number one thing you can focus on right now to better your performance on a daily basis. And you might as well be sleeping on an engineered sleep mattress. Like I said, their products are the best and their customer service is second to none. Their website is engineeredsleep.com. If you use promo code LIVE15, you'll get 15% off your order. So if you or someone you know is looking for a new mattress, reach out to the team at Engineered Sleep and they'll hook you up. Again, their website is engineeredsleep.com. Use promo code LIVE15 to get 15% off your order. Your first goal was a thousand you know, clients or a thousand people to, you know, sign up and be a member. What's your goal now? 10,000 gyms, 10,000 <laughs> gyms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gyms, gyms. Yeah. So, well, I mean, listen, success breeds ambition. When you get successful and you hit a goal, you're like, oh shit, that wasn't as hard as I thought it might be. Like, for example, when we first started, my, uh, we, you know, franchising is regulated by, by the government, by the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC. Uh, and, you know, they don't play, right? So to get set up and to get legal, it's expensive. Like in, you know, to, to get your franchise disclosure documents and your uh, franchise agreements. And so like to pay to play, the, the barrier entry is not low to get into, into franchising. Um, and when... You're talking about wanting to grow to 10,000 units and you don't even have a single, you know, brick and mortar open yet. You know, that's crazy. Like that's, I'm an optimist, but I'm also a realistic optimist. Maybe a realist is a better way to put it. An optimistic realist. I don't know. Something like that. Where I believe at the time with no resources, I mean, we had no resources, no money, no leases, just one person. I believed we could do five locations in North Charlotte. When we did that, then we franchised. We plowed the money into franchising. We had to hire somebody. You know, it's expensive. I had to go hire somebody to help me navigate the process. Hired somebody. He said, you do three in your first year. You're going to be, you're going to be, you know, top 1% if you do three units in your first year. Well, we did 200 in our first 18 months. And so like, as soon as we did 200, 200 units in our first 18 months, we're one of the fastest to grow out of the gate ever. In, fran- in fitness, in boutique fitness franchising, Burn Bootcamp and F45, like that, those are the fastest. F45 was actually faster, but we can get into that if you want to. What I saw coming and why I, why I think it's too fast is existential and you can burn up in the atmosphere if you go too fast, uh, like they currently are falling through the atmosphere, burning at this moment in time, which I don't wish upon them. It's just actually what's happening in their public company and everybody can see it. Um, where was I going with that? Oh yeah, but uh, going back to like success breeds ambition. We then do that, right? Do 200 units and it's very fast. And it's like, okay, well that's much greater than three. So some professional who knows how to, knows this world told us three, we did 200. Where are we going to go from here? Right? And then it was like 500 immediately. And then as soon as we crossed the 500 mark, I'm like, guys, we got to challenge ourselves. Part of the championship culture and mindset is, you know, set lofty, big, audacious goals that you can go after that are motivating. And so we think we've, we're hitting our goals too fast. We're going to 10,000. And they're all like, what? I'm like, <laughs> CrossFit did 14,000 and they are now at like nine because they scaled back because of their lack of in- infrastructure. It's hard to sustain that amount of locations mm-hmm. or licensing business on a franchise company. 
And um, and then you have Curves who did those types of numbers as a global fitness brand who had the same mindset as F45, sell as many units as we can and then hollow operational support off the back end and see what happens, right? We have the opposite model because we have longevity and youth on our side. We started when we we're 24, we're at 500 units by the time we're 30, 31, and we're still 100% of the company. Nobody can tell us anything, we're, but we also listen. So we're dangerous in that regard. And now, you know, I believe that we can scale on the back of the infrastructure we created. We can learn from F4, uh, F45 and Curves and we can learn from from um, from CrossFit and we can scale sustainably mm-hmm. with 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 an, a, a solid infrastructure and great unit economics because we have time and, and control. You didn't take business classes, man, but you speak like a businessman. I zero bit. <laughs> uh, well, I technically did take business classes, um, but during baseball season, we never had to go to class because we were just on the road and you have like these tutors that just sign off. Mark, we didn't do a dang thing on the road. Let's put it that <laughs> way. And when you're a college athlete, you know, you get greased through the system a little bit. That's for sure. Sure. So, but, uh, I didn't pay too much, but I did take a few classes. I got, I graduated from the, not Central Michigan University, but from the University of Phoenix online during, well, the time I, w- I was studying for my first personal training certification after I got released, I finished school and I got my um, general business uh, degree. So how many countries do you want to be in? So we're our first, our first Fourier is going to be into the UAE. That is, that is, we're in, in the back end and the works for that now. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have a pinpoint on exactly how many countries, but I do have a pinpoint on, on, you know, that, uh, the, Universal human needs that Burn Bootcamp has, you know, of community and of belonging and of camaraderie and and uh, and, and of health and of strength and co- of confidence. You know, all these things that are the intangibles, or the results of the business that we've created. Those those measurables are universal human needs, and so we'll work in any country because any country that has the wealth, the economics to be able to stand it up, the infrastructure. And has the, the the you know the uh, I would say the uh, political stability to be able to allow entrepreneurs to go after their freedom. I, we the United States is the hardest country to franchise in, so anywhere else we go is going to be easier to to from a legal perspective. And so, yeah, I don't know how many countries, but definitely that's most of them, if not all of them, going to ten thousand. <laughs> All right. Finally, I want to get to the product. Somebody shows up at a burn boot camp. What can they expect? Oh, listen, you're going to get bumping music right from the parking lot. We got burn beats. So this is the music division of our company. We're working on a retail product for this because our members keep asking if they could buy it. Uh, we don't have a retail product right now. Our franchise partners have it. It's for, I don't know if people, I don't know if you can see it, but it's right oh, there. Yeah. Show, I'm showing Sam everyone if you can. No, see it looks it. good. Yeah. But you tap into Burn Beats, uh, you know, and then you have our playlists and everything from there. Um, and so, so, what was your question again of the product? So somebody just goes product. to a camp, yeah. Yeah, so you're going to hear the the music from the parking lot. That's Burn Beats. You're going to hear the, and then you're going to hear, then you're going to hear somebody welcoming you. If it's freezing cold, the door might be closed, but 99% of the time it's not. The door will be open. We will be yelling at you from the parking lot, like, welcome in. It's, we call this the whole thing the blue carpet experience. If we don't know you, it's your first time in, we're going to 
take you through the whole welcome process. We'll get to know your name and your your vision and your motivations right away. We'll high five you. You get big high, not low fives. That's low energy. We got high energy in the building. So you get high fives, lots of high fives. Uh, you, you might even get some hugs on your first day. I mean, just deal with it. If you're a person that doesn't like that, well, guess what? You need more love in your life then because feeling the love and support of your community is, is there's second to none. And so then you're going to go in. It's 45 minutes. We basically have a camp every hour on the hour. They're 45 minutes. There's 15 minutes time slots in between for people to meet with our trainers. We're certified personal trainers. Um, no group class certifications will fly here. You have to have a certified, and uh, what's we call an NCCA accredited, not NCAA, NCCA, National Council of Certifying Agencies, must accredit your certification. You can be NASM, you can be ACE, a few others, CS. You could have a four-year degree at an accredited school. And um, then you go on, you have one on many model. So it's one personal trainer, okay, on many members. Uh, the members are like a team. And trainers are like a coach. We're and we're practicing like we're trying to win the life, the game of life. And it's hard, it's challenging, it's modified so that hard and challenging can be relative to uh, any individual who, you know, might be conditioned or you know might have never. This is their first time exercising. You might be working out with somebody who is an ex college volleyball player, jumping out of the gym, you know, who just won the national championship or something like that. So. You're both high five. You'll both have fun. You'll both be challenged, but it uh, it really smooths out the volatility of competition of of peer to peer, but also what success looks like in the workout. So everybody can like our our product is not fitness. Our product is confidence, and so that everything that we uh, do inside the gym in the blue carpet experience, uh, its its primary motive is to drive the confidence inside of any individual. Yeah, people with confidence, man. It's a powerful thing. Devin, I thank you for coming on, man. It's been I appreciate you coming on, being vulnerable, talking your story. I mean, your story, your life, your entrepreneurial drive, it's inspiring. Um, so I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure. It's, I'm pumped you're not too far from me too, which is nice to talk to somebody else in the Carolinas. So um, I wish you all the best, man. And as I think most people listening to this podcast will know that success is continuing to come for you. Um, so it's been an honor and a pleasure having you on. Yes, Sam, thank you. And continue continue doing what you're doing because you, so many podcast hosts that will you did a like a fantastic job, by the way. Like, just thank you for a great interview. We were talking about this offline. I think it's relevant. Like, you're consistent, and that's you know, success in this is consistency for you. And so, thank you back for showing up for people. You know, we believe here that entrepreneurship is a catalyst to change the world and you're helping enable it. You're helping to enable entrepreneurs to inspire other entrepreneurs. So, you know, you're you're a catalyst in the whole game and it's uh it's really cool to see. So keep it up, man. That's what, like hundred and twenty weeks in a row or something? Oh, dude, this week's hundred and forty six. Hundred and forty weeks six weeks in a row. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Well, brother, I appreciate you and uh thank you again. Thank you for listening. Give our partners some love by visiting their links in the show notes. Spink's Convenience Stores, you can find the location nearest you. Rebel Rabbit Seltzers, they're on a mission to socialize healthier and smarter, so join the mission. And Engineered Sleep, making the best mattresses in the game. You might as well be sleeping on an Engineered Sleep mattress. For me, if you could... 
give our show a five-star rating on your listening platform. That'd be greatly appreciated. And thank you so much for listening.